Good morning, church. Um, I'm reading the passage today from the book of Philippians, and it's chapter 3. I'm starting at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of them, I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, many of them walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their goal, or their God, is their belly, and they glory at their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Thanks, Carrie Jane, for reading that scripture. Well, citizenship brings both privileges and responsibilities. Did you know that? Being a citizen brings both privileges and responsibilities. Most of us who are U.S. citizens by birth might not think about this too much. But for those of you who may have gone through the naturalization process to become a citizen... You know this firsthand. The U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services website lays out the 10 steps to becoming a U.S. citizen. Did you know there were 10? For those of us born citizens, we had it easy. We just had the one step. Just be born. So if that's you, congratulations. Well done. But to become a citizen, it's quite the process. There's 10 steps. They include things like filling out forms, paying fees, being interviewed, And lots more, but possibly, probably the most important step is step nine, taking the oath of allegiance to the United States. And here's that oath. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen that I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America 
against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by law, that I will perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by law, that I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by law, and I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, so help me God. Wow. That's serious business, isn't it? I totally renounce allegiance to any other or any prior citizenship. I will serve my country. I will fight for this country if I am called upon to do so. This is serious business, this oath. And of these ten steps to becoming a citizen, the first nine really are the whole process itself. And step ten is understanding U.S. citizenship. In other words, you don't just become a citizen and never think about it again. Becoming a citizen means entering into a way of life that includes certain privileges and certain responsibilities. In our case as Americans, the privileges include things like freedom to worship, right to trial by jury, the right to vote. Some of our responsibilities include, of course, obeying the law, paying taxes, serving on a jury, and more. To those I've talked to who have gone through this naturalization process, gone through all ten of these steps, it means a great deal to them. In contrast, maybe, to those of us who take our citizenship for granted. But as it turns out, the same privileges, the same responsibilities apply to all of us as citizens, whether or not we've taken that oath, even if we've been born citizens. We all have the responsibility as citizens of our country, to live as model citizens, don't we? But as we've been seeing in the book of Philippians, we as believers in Christ have been made citizens of heaven, Paul says. As important as our earthly citizenship may be, and we can honor God by living as model citizens of our country, our primary allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom. This heavenly citizenship is no passive status that we take for granted, but it's to be a way of life that changes everything. We continue our series in Philippians called Citizens of Heaven. We come to the text finally in this book that we named our series after as we've been exploring throughout the book of Philippians what it means to be a citizen of heaven and live that out here and now. Last week we saw Paul above all wanted to know Christ. He wanted to even share in his sufferings and attain the resurrection of the dead. But Paul continues to lay out this way of life for us, and he says to the church of Philippi, and to us this morning by extension, imitate me. Did you hear that in the scripture reading? Paul says, imitate me. So let's look very closely at the life and the heart of the Apostle Paul in this text to see how we can imitate him as a model citizen of heaven. And let's pray as we turn to God's word. Our Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to worship you together this morning and to come now to your word. And so we acknowledge just together our total dependence on you to speak, our total dependence on your spirit to make these words real to us and through the provision of Jesus Christ to obey them. And so we are yours this morning as we worship Guide our hearts and grow us together in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So if you have your Bible open to Philippians 3, if not, go ahead and turn there, starting in verse 12. Philippians 3, starting in verse 12. But before we look at these at this passage, it's important to remind ourselves some of the context of Philippi itself. Because to really get what Paul wants us to get about what it means to be a citizen of heaven, we need to know first what it meant for a citizen of Philippi in the first century. Well, about a hundred years before this letter was written, Philippi was the site of a battle in the Roman Civil War. After the battle, the victorious generals found themselves just kind of stuck there with all of their soldiers, their whole army, thousands of them. And it would have been a little bit dangerous, not quite wise, to descend on the capital with thousands of soldiers. And so they stayed there in northern Greece. And Rome decided to give them land all around the city of Philippi, and they made Philippi a Roman colony. So fast forward to Paul's day, many in Philippi that Paul's writing to are descendants of those original military colonists, and many of the rest of them had benefited from the Roman presence there. Many in this city were proud of their Roman citizenship. They sought to live their lives as a reflection not of how life was lived in the territory surrounding them in northern Greece, but by how life was lived in the capital city of Rome. So in a very similar way, Paul's writing to this church, Paul's writing to us, the church is a colony, the church is an outpost of heaven on earth. And while we may be in a different geographic location than heaven, we are still members of heaven just as much as those who are already living there. And it's very important that we grasp that as we look at this text. And as our primary allegiance to heaven, to Christ, to his kingdom, we live our whole lives for the advance of that kingdom. And so keep that context in mind as we look now to these words of Paul. Look at verse 12. Paul says, Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus had made me has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So the first mark of being a model citizen of heaven, we see in this passage, is that they keep pressing on. We're to keep pressing on. Paul says it twice in this short section. The verb translated pressing on is a hunting word, means to pursue. It's a very active word. It's also used in a racing context. It's a strong and active word. So pressing on in the Christian life is active. It's forward-looking. In the preceding verses, Paul spoke of knowing Christ above all, sharing not just his sufferings, but fully in his resurrection life. And here he picks that up now to say, I am pursuing that at all costs. I'm straining every nerve to arrive at my future in Christ. Now let's again remember not to misunderstand what Paul is saying. Effort does not equal earning. Our salvation is a gift, entirely a gift of grace. As we saw a few weeks ago, we're to get busy working it out, living it out. Our future hope in Christ is a sure promise. And so we rightly respond to that gift by aligning every aspect of our lives and hearts and minds toward 
that future destiny. Look again at verse 12. That word for obtained means to take hold of. This is the same word that he says just a moment later when he says, Christ has made me his own. Same word. In other words, I'm doing everything to take hold of the gift because Christ has taken hold of me. Isn't that beautiful? So living as a model citizen of heaven means we've been taken hold of by Christ. And now we devote every ounce of our energy, every minute of our lives, taking hold of him. Well, Paul says, not that I have already obtained this. He means I've not yet arrived. I haven't arrived. It's reassuring for me, I don't know about you, but to hear a giant of the faith like Paul, even him, say, you know what, I haven't yet arrived. I haven't yet arrived to full maturity. We are all on this journey together. To know none of us have arrived means we need to keep pressing on, to keep yielding to God's work in us, to keep on growing, and specifically for us, to keep moving together. Not to get stagnant and still, or to go backwards, but to keep pressing on. The runner pursuing the prize knows the race isn't over, right? Until they've crossed the finish line. It's kind of like the old fable, the tortoise and the hare. Do you remember that? The hare is fast. He could easily win the race. He gets so far out in front of the tortoise, he decides to take a nap, right? In his pride and his complacency, he oversleeps and he actually loses the race. But that tortoise, as slow as he is, just keeps plodding along, right? One step in front of the other. He just keeps moving. Sometimes we can be like the hare. Complacency sets in. We lose sight of the urgency of following Christ with every ounce of our being. Or we mistake God's gifts in our lives for our own greatness. Thank you very much, right? But then there's people like the tortoise. There's Christians like the tortoise. Maybe they don't have a lot going for them as the world measures things. Maybe they continue to struggle all along the way, but they keep putting one foot in front of the other. They keep pressing on. They keep moving forward in Christ. That's our image. Let's hang on to that. And this is yet another part of the spiritual maturity that Paul has been laying out for us all through this book. Look at verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. I love this. I love his tone here. If you're mature, you'll think the same way. You'll see things like I do, and if not, well, don't worry. God will get with you and sort that all out. Don't you worry. God will get with you and take care of any of your confusion. But part of pressing on in the Christian life is verse 14. Don't miss it. Forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind in order to strain forward to what lies ahead. Do you struggle to forget what lies behind? Maybe we make too much of past successes. Maybe we look back a little too fondly on what we think of as the good old days. We should be grateful, of course, to God for all of his blessings in our past, but here we are right now. God's called us to live in the present, this very moment, today, with a view toward tomorrow. On the other hand, we can make way too much of our past defeats, our past failures in the Christian life. And if that's you, you need to receive the grace extended to you by Christ. There's nothing spiritual about wallowing in your own mistakes and sins if that keeps you from pressing on, if that keeps you from moving forward. It can actually be pride 
to refuse the forgiveness, to refuse the mercy and the grace that is yours in Christ. It doesn't matter how often you failed. It doesn't matter the way that you have failed. Jesus did not make a mistake saving you, okay? He knew what you would do, and he saved you anyway. And he intends that we keep pressing on. He intends that we keep moving forward in his grace, with his provision. Think about how Paul, think about his background, how he could have gotten caught up with guilt and with shame about the life he used to live, persecuting Christians. And it's not just our life before Christ. Look at Peter. The denial, he could have been crippled by that denial of Jesus Christ when Jesus needed him most. And in our lives, the enemy wants us to be sidetracked by any number of failures, any number of sins. And Paul says, no, forget what lies behind. Forget what lies behind. The finish line's not back there. The finish line's ahead of you. It's in front of you. And so we need to keep pressing on toward the prize. So Paul says model citizens keep pressing on that we're to also keep our eyes on godly examples. Look at verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. Stop right there. Join in imitating me, Paul says. Imitate me. Now remember, he hasn't yet arrived, but he's a little further on the journey than the rest of us. So he's saying, look at me, just like in 1 Corinthians 11. Follow me, he says, as I follow Christ. And don't just look at me, look at everybody around you in the church who is living out this life. Who walks this way. Paul was so concerned about his beloved Philippian believers being led astray potentially by enemies of the cross, he says. Now, he doesn't specify what group he's talking about. There were plenty of varieties of false teachers and people trying to lead God's people astray. But Paul pleads with them, be careful who you're looking at. Be careful who you're looking up to, because these are wolves in sheep's clothing. They're not wearing a flashing sign around their neck that says, false teacher. Okay, they don't introduce themselves in the Sunday morning greeting time. Hey, I'm an enemy of the cross. How are you? What's your name? It's always more subtle than that. And we tend to forget that. Their God is their belly, meaning they live for their own pleasure and their minds are set on earthly things. This word for their minds being set is the same word in verse 15 when he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. So he wants to show us the sharp contrast between how these enemies think, and how a citizen of heaven thinks and should think. Because he contrasts this immediately in verse 20, right? But our citizenship is in heaven. So he's tying this citizenship to the way we think, to the way we act, what we're seeking after. And this is one reason among many why Christian community is so important. We need people we can look to who are living out this life of Christ alongside us. doesn't mean we shouldn't be hanging around with unbelievers. Of course we should. But it does raise the question, doesn't it? Who are our friends 
Who are our closest friends? Who are the people that have deep influence in our lives, the people that we look up to and look to? Maybe they're well-meaning people. Maybe they're otherwise good people. But are their minds set on earthly things? Is their thought process focused only on what they can get without Christ at the center of their lives? Because we need to remember, spiritual formation does not just happen on a Sunday morning in worship in the sanctuary. Did you know that? We don't just flip a switch when we arrive at church or a Bible study or connection group and all of a sudden, okay, now I'm being spiritually formed. No, we're always being formed in one way or another. And so we need to be sure we're not being distracted. We're not being discouraged from pressing on toward Christ to go after some smaller temporary ambition. But our citizenship is in heaven. So let me ask you, if you're here this morning, if you're watching online, is your citizenship in heaven? On the government website that lays out those 10 steps for becoming a citizen, step one is actually determine if you're already a U.S. citizen. I love that. You have to know that step wasn't always part of the process. There probably used to be nine steps, but there was some guy that got all the way through the process at the very end. Hey, wait a minute. I'm already a citizen. Never mind. So now there's 10 steps, thanks to that guy. But step one, it's an important question, isn't it? Determine if you're already a citizen. And it's even more important spiritually, this question. Ask yourself, am I a citizen of heaven? Unlike American citizenship or citizenship in some other country, nobody's a citizen of heaven by birth. Actually, only what Jesus calls the new birth. But all are eligible. There's no restrictions. You don't even need to do anything. There's not ten steps. Because Jesus did it all for you. You just need to receive the gift. You just need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you become a citizen of heaven. Your future hope is certain. If you have your Bible open in front of you, look down just a few verses at the very beginning of chapter 4 and verse 2. Paul says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. But he says in the following verse, the next verse, these women and the rest of all Paul's fellow workers, look at the end of verse 3, their names are in the book of life. And so if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he puts your name in the book of life. Your citizenship is there, and it can't be taken away from you. And if you have questions about what that means for your spiritual walk, would you please let us know that? But for us believers, we have this citizenship. We who have put our faith in Christ, so the question for us is, as we've really been asking throughout the whole book of Philippians, are we living it? Are we living into our citizenship, our primary allegiance? Because spiritually, there is no dual citizenship. It doesn't mean our earthly citizenship isn't important. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be responsible citizens. But there is no dual citizenship. Living out one means renouncing the other. Remember the oath? I hereby declare an oath I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen. Or as Paul puts it in Colossians 1, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We've been transferred from one kingdom to another. 
from one citizenship to another. And as members of this kingdom, we have to keep pressing on. We have to, with urgency, keep our eyes set on the right people. Finally, we have to keep waiting for Jesus. Look at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The word translated citizenship is polituma. Polituma. That sounds familiar. That's where we get our word politics. So next time somebody asks you where your political affiliation lies, try this. Try saying, my affiliation is with Jesus in heaven. See how that goes over. But this word can also have the, the meaning of the, in the sense of a capital city that would keep record of its citizens. And how fitting is that for Philippi? A Roman colony tied to the capital city of Rome. They modeled their lives on Roman life, not the life of northern Greece around them. And so we too are to model our lives on where our citizenship really lies, not on the world around us. We're like resident aliens living in the present world system temporarily. And so we shouldn't get too comfortable with the way things are now. Our hearts and our longing shouldn't be too much focused on the way things are now. What does Paul say? From heaven we await a Savior. This Savior, Paul says, is going to come back and transform everything. Most notably here in this passage, our bodies, our lowly bodies, subject to decay, subject to death, to be like his glorious body. This is that hope of resurrection he talked about back in verse 11. We're coming out of the Easter season on the church calendar, but Easter never ends for the Christian, does it? Because everything hinges on the resurrection. Christ rose from the dead, and one day he will return, and all the dead in Christ will rise. And so we need to compare what Paul is saying here and what Scripture says elsewhere with sort of our common but often misunderstood view of heaven our very incomplete, at times, view of heaven. What is our ultimate future? What is our ultimate hope? It's not for our souls to go float off somewhere far away and be with God forever. That's what many of us think. But that's not what the Bible says. That's very incomplete That's not the teaching of Scripture. Going off to heaven when we die is just the way things are at the moment. But that, of course, is temporary. One day, Christ is returning. Christ is coming back. Heaven is coming down to earth, as we see in Revelation. We will live forever in a new heaven and new earth, in physical, resurrected bodies, not floating around as disembodied spirits on a cloud somewhere. This is the prize. Full resurrection life in the presence of Jesus Christ. This is the prize Paul was pressing on toward. This is the prize ahead of us as believers in Christ. As a colony of Rome, the Philippians were not eager one day to go live in the capital city. That's the opposite of how a colony worked. Now their job was to live out the culture, was to live out the rule of the emperor right there in their colony in northern Greece. Now, what if the Roman colony was in danger? 
Again, would they flee to Rome? No. Their hope as a colony, as citizens of Rome, would be that the emperor himself would ride in from Rome to the colony, rescue them, and that he would establish his rule right there in the colony just as firmly and just as surely as it was in Rome itself. That was their hope as citizens of Rome. And this is our hope as citizens of heaven. Rescue ultimately and eternally is not escaping this earth to go be in heaven, but for the king to come here and establish his kingdom on earth forever. As the prophet Habakkuk writes, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Paul's point is that we as the church are a colony of heaven here on earth. Part of our citizenship responsibilities is to live out the rule of Christ right here, expanding his kingdom, sharing the good news until he returns. I mean, isn't this how Jesus taught us to pray? The Lord's prayer is a prayer for kingdom citizens, citizens of heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. And so this was the challenge to the Philippian believers. This is the challenge to us this morning, living 2,000 years apart from them, but our challenge is still the same. To figure out how to transfer our ultimate allegiance away from this world, away from its systems, and to put it solely on Jesus Christ. To really live differently. To have different ambitions. To have different hopes. To have different dreams than the people living around us, living only for the here and now. This is the life of a kingdom citizen, not at all in our own strength, in our own self-effort, but his provision and his strength, the life of Christ in us. And so our task as citizens is to keep waiting for Jesus, and waiting is not at all passive. It's just as urgent and it's just as intentional as pressing on in the faith, keeping our eyes focused where they should be, because he could come back at any moment. And so we should live each day, not complacent, but expectantly. We should live actively, forward-looking as we pray, as we serve together, as we work for his glory. And so citizenship brings privileges and responsibilities, doesn't it? Our responsibility in Christ is just to live in response to the grace we've been given. To live in light of our sure future hope. Because our privileges are sure. Our privileges are promised. They are eternal. One day, heaven is coming down here. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead will raise us to new life and make everything new. Hear how the Apostle John in Revelation 21 lays out some of these eternal privileges of heaven citizenship. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, this right here is your citizenship. This is what we are pressing on toward. Now, we don't have an oath to recite as citizens of heaven, but we do have a prayer. And so as we close together and as the music team comes back up, let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.